And this time I'd like to invite the children to head back to Children's Church, ages 3 to 5, 3 to kindergarten. Feel free to head back and join Miss Susan in the back for Children's Church. I'm sure she'll have a wonderful lesson for you all. And for the rest of us, you can turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We continue on in our sermon series in 1 Peter, going through this kind of section by section, block by block. And we're in 1 Peter, chapter 2, this morning, verses 11 through 17. As the kids head back and as you turn there, I invite you to stand with me as we read... From God's word in 1 Peter 2. If you're willing, if you're able. First Peter 2, starting in verse 11. I'm reading out of the ESV translation. Go from 11 to 17. says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You may be seated. Father, we pray that you would teach us the truth of this passage, that you would apply it to our hearts and minds, that we wouldn't just hear it, but that we would know it, and we wouldn't just know it, but it would move within us and animate us and cause us to live differently in a way that honors you, and not only honors you, but draws others in to honor you and praise you as well, because you are worthy of all praise and all honor as the Ancient of Days. So we pray this time, Lord, that you would use it as, an, as a time of worship. May your word be alive to us. May your word be alive to those in Children's Church. May your word be alive in our city and beyond. Help us to hear from you, we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a bad house guest? If it was someone in this room, don't call them out. Let's just maintain Christian fellowship and brotherhood. And I think we've all had the experience of having a bad house guest in our home. I heard of one story of a man who, whose wife's cousin was staying with him. He was going through some relationship struggles. So he was staying with, he and his wife and her, her, cousin, her cousin was staying with him. And just in the middle of the night, he heard clanging, just a weird clanging sound. So he walked around and tried to figure out what it was, and he saw the man with his daughter's piggy bank. 
he was stealing from his five-year-old daughter's piggy bank to go buy cigarettes and alcohol. It's a bad house guest. Another story more comical, maybe less sad. A, a man told a story of when he was younger, one of his brother's friends was over at his house, and after blowing out his dad's speakers by playing the music too loud, he then clogged the toilet. In order to dry up the floor, he grabbed some of Grandma's quilts to try and sop up the water, but it kept flowing and flowing. He didn't know what to do. And in his panic, he just shook the toilet so hard that he actually cracked the base and removed it. And in a panic, seeing he hadn't fixed it because it worse, he, he ran out of the bathroom to make a way for the exit, but then his wet feet slipped on the wood floor and he slid into the wall and left a huge human-sized dent in the wall before he made his escape. He said his brother was no longer allowed to have friends over after that. There are ways to be bad guests in people's house, in people's homes. There's ways to be good guests. Not breaking things is a way to be a good guest in somebody's home. Not leaving a mess. Not stealing from your house or their kids. By being polite and thankful. Not overstaying your welcome. There are general rules you abide by to be a good guest in someone else's home, to, to leave a good impression while visiting. And that's actually what this passage is about, is how do we leave a good impression while visiting? We are visitors in this place, or as Peter reminds his audience, you are sojourners and exiles, you're strangers in this land. This world as it is, fallen and broken as it is, is not your ultimate home. It will be reborn, made new, and there will be a new creation, a heaven that is your ultimate home. But while here, you are strangers, you're exiles, you're not at home. So how do we leave a good impression while visiting? I'll ask it this way. How do we live attractive lives in an ugly world? That's our main question this morning. How do we live attractive lives in an ugly world? And a world that Peter will kind of hint at is an ugly world. He'll talk about sinful passions that war within us. He lives in the context, Peter does, of evil emperors and governors. People who do evil and speak evil. Foolish people who reject God. That's all in the context uh, Peter's writing, he says, within that background, the world isn't as ugly as it could be. There are many beautiful things, wonderful things about this world, but it's not as good as it could be either. It is an ugly world in many pl- ways and places. So given that, given the stain that is in our world and within us, how do we live attractive lives? How do we live lives that are compelling, that cause other people to say there's something different there, and then ultimately to give glory to God because of it? How do we live beautifully? Up to this point in his letter, Peter's really been talking to the church about the church and about its relationship with God and who are you as God's people. And he's been kind of laying a theological foundation in the first couple of chapters. From here on out, Peter's going to get really practical as to how do we live in the world around us? How do we live with others? And how do we live in a compelling way? How do we live attractive lives in an ugly world? I think there are three keys that summarize what Peter says here. First, be free of evil. Second, be subject to authorities. And third, be slaves of God. Those are the three keys that Peter will lay out for how we live attractive lives in an ugly world. First, let's focus on the first one. 
Be free of evil. That's what Peter's talking about in verses 11 through 12. He's urging his listeners, the church scattered, sojourners and exiles, urging them to be free of evil. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter uses one of those words that we only see in the Bible but we don't use with each other, beloved. If somebody called me beloved, I'd say, that's weird. But it's okay when Scripture does it. it really, it's a, it's a term of affection. He's saying, my brothers and sisters whom I love. As the people I love, here's what I want you to do. And he not only calls them beloved, he calls them, he reminds them, you are sojourners and exiles. Strangers in this world passing through. And as strangers and visitors, does it matter how you live here? You know, can you just leave a mess and move on? Because this isn't your home anyways. Or does it really matter how we live while sojourners and exiles? Peter's going to say, it matters. He says, I urge you. It's important. You need to hear this. And Peter urges us, abstain from the passions of the flesh. What does Peter mean when he uses that word flesh? I think some of you kids went over this in Sunday school not too recently. What does flesh mean? When used in scripture by Peter and Paul, often it's not just talking about flesh, our body, but flesh is that part of us that has fallen, that is sinful and stained, that will pass away. And flesh is kind of used metaphorically as opposite of the spirit and the life in Christ. Flesh is that sinful, fallen part of us. And Peter says, abstain from the desires, the passions of your fallen self. Abstain from sinful desires. Now, I want to be clear here. Peter is not saying abstain from all desires. Not all desires are sinful. We as Christians are not Buddhists. What do I mean by that? In Buddhism, the path to nirvana is to rid yourself of all cravings, all earthly cravings, to rid yourself of all want. And once you've rid yourself of all want and all cravings, then you'll be at peace. That's a false religion. In Buddhism, any desire for pleasure, any desire for material goods, any desire for immortality or anything of that sort, that just gets in the way of peace. And inner peace. But we're not Buddhists. We're Christians. And we are made in the image of God and a world that God has created. And because of that, as image bearers, we have good, God-given, wonderful desires. God gave us a mandate to fill this world with his image bearers and with his image and with his goodness. And with that, he has given us Good, godly desires to do what? To, to build, to work, to succeed, to be productive, to form out of the earth. All those things are good desires. There is a good and godly ambition that he has placed in us to build things. He has given us a good and godly desire for sexual intimacy, expressed in marriage, 
to be enjoyed and also to fill the earth, to procreate. That is a good desire that God has given us. He's given us a desire for food, that we might enjoy it and live in fellowship. And how much of the religious life of God's people centered around eating and fellowship and enjoying these things. God has given us all sorts of wonderful and good desires. So it is not a Christian thing to say, I don't have any desires within me. No, actually, we should have all sorts of good, wonderful, godly desires. But then what Satan does and what sin does is takes those good desires and twists them and corrupts them into sinful passions of the flesh, as Peter recalled. So a desire to be productive and to build out of God's creation becomes greed and envy A desire for sexual intimacy becomes lust, and objectification, and using other people. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 describes these desires and warns of their consequence. Paul says in Galatians 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Peter reminds his readers, you are not those people. Who are you? Remember what he said last week. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen people. You're a holy nation, the people of God's possession. You are God's holy people. He has sanctified you and made you his. So God has, if you are in Christ on the one hand, made you holy. But Peter also recognized at the same time, we're not perfected yet. We still have sinful desires that plague us. Martin Luther used the phrase we talked about in our Sunday school class, simul justice et peccator, which is Latin, and it means at the same time justified and sinner. If you are in Christ, you are on the one hand justified, made holy, washed clean. And yet also, you have sin that wars within you. So Peter says, abstain from it. Get away from it. He says this sinful desire, these sinful desires within you wage war against your soul. Think about that for a second. I just want to camp there for just a second. Think about how different that thought is than the way our world speaks. Do you notice the difference? Peter, the word of God says, you have desires that are good, but you also have sinful desires within you. You need to recognize what those are and abstain from them because they will kill you. They will wage war against your soul. They will hurt you. They will hurt others. They lead to condemnation. Stay away from them. And the world says, you better express everything within you. In fact, if you have a desire that's in you, a natural instinct, and you don't express it and don't affirm it, you're actually doing damage to your soul. It is an exact opposite message. For the world, the the key to mental health It's to not deny yourself. Peter says, the key to spiritual and eternal health, abstain from sinful passions. Those are two very different, very opposite conflicting messages. You're going to have to make a choice which you believe. 
Peter says we are to abstain from sinful passions. On the contrary, we're to keep our conduct honorable. And that word for honorable there in your Bibles could also be translated, another way this word is translated is beautiful or attractive or handsome. Keep your conduct attractive. Why? So that others might see your attractive conduct and glorify God on the day of visitation. That sounds like Jesus, what Peter is saying here. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew 5:16. He says, "Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." And Peter's teaching the same thing that Jesus taught. By your way of life, shine light so that others might see it and give glory to God. Peter says, people are going to speak evil about you. Look at your Bibles. Does Peter say, if people speak evil or when? When? When others speak evil against you. So just understand, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, there are going to be some who speak evil against you, who look down on you, who mock the church. People have um, accused the church of all sorts of things from the very beginning. We've talked about some of these before. The early church, early Christians were called cannibals. Why were they accused of cannibalism? Well, in their religious services, they ate the body and the blood of their Savior. Christians were called incestuous by the world around them. Why? Because they called their spouses brother and sister. Christians were called blasphemers because they called Jesus God. Christians were called atheists because they didn't worship all the gods of Greece and Rome. Christians were considered threats to society and haters of the human race because they refused to join in the worship of the emperor and local deities. Christians didn't always have a good reputation. We don't always have a good reputation. We're bigots, hateful, because we don't affirm everyone's sinful passions or our own sinful passions. So there will be, and Peter's telling us, there will be times when you are hated because you follow Christ. What he's saying is, given that, don't give more ammo. Given that reality... Keep your conduct honorable. And the church hasn't always done a good job. That We don't always do a good job. That We don't always do a great job of representing Christ. And there are times there are abuse scandals and things that go on in the church. Uh, uh, Christians who, in the name of Christ, say hateful and do hateful things. We don't always do a good job of that. And Peter's saying, abstain from all of that sinful passion so that you might represent the church and Christ beautifully. And by your beautiful way of conduct, some might actually believe. That on the day of judgment, on the day of visitation, God will come and there will be some who glorify him, who worship and praise him precisely because they saw there was something different about the body of Christ. Because when the body of Christ is wrapped up in sin and we, we live sinful lives, what we're telling to the world is it doesn't actually matter what we believe, we do the same thing you do. And sinful and debauched lives communicate to the world that we don't actually believe what we say and neither should they. Peter says, don't live like that. Don't live sinful lives. 
the world should see there's something really different about this group of people and it should be attractive and some will come and glorify God because of it. So the first most important, or maybe not most important, but the first key is to be free of evil. How can we live attractive lives? Be free of sin, be free of evil. Second, verses 13 through 15, second key, be subject to authorities. Be subject to authorities. Christians are to live good, compelling, honorable, noble lives in submission to others. This thought is going to weave its way through the several next sections of Peter's letter. We're just going to get to the first here. Starts in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So be subject, Peter says, and that thought is going to carry its way through the the next number of verses, as I said, what does it mean to be subject? What does Peter mean by that? To be subject to others is more than to show honor or to respect. When Peter says be subject, what he really means is obey. Submit. Submit yourselves to others. That's what Peter means by be subject. Commentator Dan Doriani says, to be subject is to arrange one's life under the authority or guidance of another. To be subject is to come underneath and say, I will will live by your authority and your guidance and I will be obedient. And what Peter is saying is that the first instinct, the default position of every Christian, he's talking to all Christians, Our instinct position, default setting should be, if there's an authority, that we want to be obedient to that authority. That is our disposition as Christians. That, again, is counter-cultural teaching. And we in the church, we are more comfortable with this idea of being subject and being in submission because we talk about it a lot because it comes up in Scripture a lot. But what's going to happen when we walk outside these four walls and we go into our places of occupation and our families? We're going to have to put this into practice. And what does that mean? As you go into your work life, this could be a difficult thing to be subject to. After all, it's a cruel world. And what is going to be your fear? Boy, if I show any weakness here, I'm going to get walked on. In the professional world, if I show my belly at all, it'll be all over. I have to show strength. I have to show power. I have to show that I'm in control. If I submit myself to another, they could take advantage of me. I'm putting myself at risk. Right? These are scary thoughts. I'm putting myself in harm's way. Aaron, are you actually telling me to go out and submit to others and say, no, I'm not telling you, Peter is.
It is a scary and exposing thing to submit to authority. It requires faith that God will give you what you need, that he will protect you, that ultimately you're not your own protector. You don't have to stand for yourself all the time, that God actually will do it. That inner voice, that outer voice of a culture is going to say, you can't submit, you can't be in submission to others. That's not what strong people do. But the voice of Scripture is pretty clear. Be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Submit to, specifically, Peter says, your government. Emperors, governors, kings, governments, submit to them. And you say, have you seen our government? We have a fallen and sinful government. Whether you are a a Biden person, a Trump person, a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, whatever it may be, you might look out and say, I don't like the state of our governing leaders and authorities. I don't think I should submit to them. I don't think I can. And Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. Then I would ask you a history question. And my history question would be, when did Peter write this letter? And you'd Google that on your phone, which is what I did. And you find, oh, it's 62 to 64 AD, somewhere in there. And then you might ask a follow-up question. Who was the emperor when Peter wrote this letter? And then you'd find, oh, it's a guy named Nero. Was he a saint? Nero was known for his cruelty and his debauchery, for, um, I'll just call it, having an appropriate relationship with family members and then killing them. It was kind of one of the things that Nero did. Right? Known for being a debauched and sinful person. And, and not super friendly to Christians. Christian persecution really kicked off under Nero. In fact, there was a great fire in Rome. I think it probably happened after Peter wrote this letter. There was a great fire in Rome that decimated everything. And Nero blamed the Christians for it. It was the Christians' fault. Remember, they were hated by society. They didn't worship the gods like we do. It was them. They did it. There's a rumor, and I, actually, I don't know if this is true. The history is kind of mixed on this. But there's a thought that Nero had Christians on poles burned in his garden, and those were called Nero's torches that lit up his palace. Christians being burned alive. Peter knows what's look, what it looks like and what it's like to live under evil rulers. He says, submit to governors. Who was it that killed Jesus? Some guy named Pontius Pilate. How would Peter himself die? Along with Paul and most of the other apostles. Martyred. Rumor has it, Peter was crucified upside down. Under this leadership. And Peter says, be subject. What in the world are you talking about, Peter? Why would be subject? Well, because those rulers, even the worst of them, are put there by God as his agents to keep peace and order, to reward those who do good, to punish those who do evil. And even in the worst empires, that happens. Those who disrupt things, 
have justice brought up on them, those who do well, reward for good, generally speaking, not perfectly in all ways, Peter knows this, but generally speaking, if they're going to function in this world, you have to have some level of submission. So this is true. What organizations are you part of? Kids, what sports do you play? Are you part of a soccer team? Do you go to school? How would your baseball or soccer team go if all the players decided, we're not going to listen to coach, we're all going to do our own thing? Now, young soccer can be like that anyways, but, but if all the players on the team say, we're just not going to do what coach does, we're going to do our own thing, it would be chaos, it wouldn't work. If every kid in the class said, we're not going to listen to the teacher, we're all going to do our own thing, it would be chaos, it wouldn't work. If all the people in your volunteer organization said, we're not going to listen to any leadership, we're not going to submit to anybody, we're going to do our own thing because we're gods, it would not work. If you, every person in the military branch, whoever's serving, said, we're not going to listen to our colonel, we're not going to listen to our sergeant, we're, we're just going to do our own thing as soldiers, it would not work. Any organization, any group of people, if the people... All say, we're going to submit to nobody. We're not going to be subject to anyone. We're all going to be our own leaders. It would all fall apart. So God says this order is brought about by him, by God's design for humanity, that there would be some in leadership who would lead others and some others who would follow him, be submissive. And that's part of how you live a beautiful life. It's not revolting all the time, but being in submission, even at times, submission to death. So does this mean then, here's the next question, that in every instance we obey no matter what and never disobey those who are in leadership? Is that what this is saying? Some of you shaking your heads, no. And Peter would agree. Peter himself spoke to this in Acts 5, 27-29, or 27-29. The apostles were told by governing authorities not to preach the gospel. And Peter himself, who writes, be subject to all authorities. We'll just listen to what he says in Acts 5. Verse 27 through 29. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So Peter himself says, there's a time where you disobey authorities. When it comes into conflict with what God has demanded and called. God has demanded that they preach the gospel, so they're going to obey God rather than men. Something you won't see in your English, I think, most of your English Bibles will say, be subject to every human institution in that verse. The, the Greek word there is actually probably better translated creation or creature. I think that's important because what Peter is saying is, be subject to every human creation, which could be a word for institution, but he's reminding us even the most powerful people are creatures. And they're not God. And that distinction will come up later. So Peter is saying one at the same time, your posture ought to be obedience and submission in as much as it is possible and in as much as you obey God in it. But when the conflict comes and you have to make a choice between obeying man and God, you obey God because everything else is just creation. Does that make sense? So then how do you live this out? 
How did Peter live submissively in subjection even as he obeyed God rather than men? He submitted unto death. I will keep preaching the gospel even if I'm rebelling against authorities. What I will not do, what the early church did not do, is take up arms and revolt and try and take down the government. Do you see the distinction? They didn't try and rise up and take power, but it was their humble submission to death that exemplified and showed who they followed, who it is that they worshipped. This is our challenge and your challenge as Christians in this day. You will face and I will face the temptation to be obnoxious, to revolt, to say, I follow God, and use that as an excuse to be defiant in every way. And what Peter is calling all of us to do is first, may our first instinct be submission wherever possible. Even submission unto death. Because nobody is forced or coerced or cajoled into the kingdom of God. Not by humans. Not that I know of. We cannot institute a Christian nation that will cause everyone to become Christians. That doesn't work. It's never worked. We might hope and act in such a way that we might influence the world around us, that the world around us might live more Christianly. But we cannot force or coerce people into the kingdom. What Peter says is the best and most effective way to win the world, to silence foolish people who don't want anything to do with God, is to submit as far as possible and obey God. This doesn't mean we don't stand for our convictions. Peter stands for his convictions. But it does mean we live with humility and goodness and love that causes others to see the beauty of following Jesus Christ. After all, what did Jesus do? We'll get back to that. How do we live attractive lives in an ugly world? First, be free of sin, be free of evil. Second, be subject to authorities. Third, be slaves of God. While we might subject ourselves to authorities, we are slaves of God. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That word can be translated slaves of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Peter calls us here to live as free people in verse 16. And look at that, verse 16. The word there is live. Most translations. Again, it's one of those weird translation things. That word live is not actually there. There's no verb there in the Greek sentence. It just says as free people. So it's continuing the thought of what came before. And I'm going to argue that 
live is a good word to put there. Maybe a better word would be be subject as free people, because that continues the thought that Peter already had, because there's no verb there, there's no command. It just says, as free people, so-and-so, and go on. So our English translations, they put live. I think a better way might be to say, be subject as free people, as people who are free. So what Peter wants us to do with our freedom is to be subject. And to note that we do have freedom. What freedom is he talking about? What is the freedom that we have? We have been freed as Christians. What have we been freed from? From sin, from death, the devil. This is what we were freed from. Martin Luther uh, called what we were born into, the bondage of the will. That we are born in slavery. We are born in bondage. We are born not able to live righteously. We are born slaves to sin. That is how we are born. That's how we naturally come into this world in slavery to sin, born under Adam. We are in the bondage of the will. We can't help but sin. But then what has Christ done? What did Christ conquer in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension? Christ conquered sin, took sin upon the cross, put it to death, and then rose again, having won the victory over sin, that all those who are in him have conquered sin as well. He has freed us from the bondage of sin. And this is not just Martin Luther saying that, it's Romans 6. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, 20 and 22. For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness, Paul says in Romans 6.20. You were slaves of sin and free in regards to righteousness, meaning you couldn't help but sin, and you were totally free of anything good and righteous in you. But now you have been set free from sin and have become what? Slaves of God. So you have transferred your slavery. (laughs) Slavery to sin, now you are slaves of God. You are free from righteousness, and now you're free to righteousness. This is how you've been set free. That's what Peter's talking about. You are free people. Even in submission, even in subjection, no matter what emperor you live under, you are free and free from sin, and you are slaves ultimately to God and God alone. Which means you are no longer destined to sin, you're no longer bound to sin. This is good news for us who are in Christ. You've been set free from the bondage to sin, So whatever those sinful passions are within you, whatever sin, whatever habits that are ingrained in you, you are not doomed to them. In Christ, you actually have the ability not to sin. We get stuck thinking sometimes, that I was born this way. My conditions influence me in such a way that I'm just helpless against sin. That's not what the New Testament teaches. If you're in Christ, you are set free in Christ have the ability not to sin. You can abstain. You're not powerless against lust, against greed, against gluttony, laziness, selfishness, bitterness, hatred, rebellion. Those things don't dominate you. You are free. And you have a different home than this ugly world. How many of you have noticed that people from different places live differently or have different traits or characteristics? This is where you get to mock other people from around the country. So, people from New York. They have some New York traits. Or people from godless Pacific Northwest, like I am. They have different traits and different characteristics. 
right? And people from the South have different characteristics. My, my dad's from New Jersey. My mom's from Louisville, Kentucky. They have different traits that they carry with them. People from different places, you have different tendencies, different cultural things, right? And you act often like where you come from and where your home is. So sometimes you can tell, huh, that person's from there. You can see it, right? We, as people who have heaven as our home, ought to have the characteristics of our home. We belong to a different place. We belong to a different God. And as his slaves, we just kind of live differently. That's what Peter's getting at. We are his people. We belong to him. And ultimately, he's our authority. And I think that's what Peter's saying when he summarizes everything in verse 17. Look at that with me. Notice uh, the four commands there. They're intentional. They summarize everything he's been saying. Honor everyone. It just means what it says. Everyone. No matter who they are, no matter background, no matter disposition, belief, whatever it is, we as Christians ought to be known as those who honor all people. We show a certain respect and give a certain dignity to all people, knowing that all people are made in the image of God. So we aren't the people who go bad-mouthing and criticizing constantly and saying, look at how stupid and ignorant and wicked, and that's the only thing we have to say about anybody. We are people who honor, show respect to all people basic command of Christianity. But then he says, love the brotherhood. So we can honor everybody. We show everybody a certain level of honor. But the church of Jesus Christ, we have a certain affection for and a love for. And then, fear God. That is different altogether. Scripture is clear over and over, we do not fear people. No matter how powerful they are, we are to fear no person. Because no person has the power that God has. What does Jesus say in Matthew 10, 28? Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What Peter is saying is here, there's a different level of submission, of obedience, of fear that we have for God that doesn't belong to anybody else. He's the only one who determines the fate of our souls. That's an important claim to make in Peter's day where emperors were seen as gods. And Peter's making a clear distinction. Yeah, be subject to them. But fear God. Then he says, honor the emperor. So why would he repeat the same word? It doesn't really flow linguistically, maybe artistically, but I think he's doing something intentional. Same honor you give to everybody, give to the emperor. What Peter's doing is putting the emperor on the same level as everybody else. Which is an incredible claim at that time. The emperor, he's a creature. The king, he's a creature. Your local politicians, your presidents, your representatives, the creatures. So you honor them like you would everybody else. But don't give them your fear. That belongs to God and God alone. Do you see the distinction? Do you see the way of life that Peter's calling us to? A humble submission that is peaceful 
and at the same time bold and courageous and willing to stand for what we believe unto death. That doesn't try to rise up in hatred, but wants to influence wherever possible. Peter's writing that we might win people. They might see our good conduct. We might silence those who are ignorant of God. He's calling us to be effective witnesses. And he says the way to do it is not by hatred, not by violence or animosity, but by humble submission. Why? Because we're Christians and we follow Jesus Christ and how did he live? Who is our God? He's the one who washed his disciples' feet. He's the one who said, whoever seeks to be first must be last. He's the one who is the creator, not the creature. The one through whom all things are created, yet became a part of his creation and submitted himself to creatures in humble submission. Jesus Christ is the one who obeyed the Father in everything. And he was obedient to the point of death for the salvation of our souls. Jesus Christ is the one who was humble and was in subjection to others. Can we live any other way? If we are Christ's followers, we have to live like Christ. If we say, oh, I'm not about that submission thing. Well, then you think you have a better way than Christ and the apostles. Because this is how, the Christ, how Christ and the apostles lived. They lived beautiful lives of convicted humility and submission. So we do the same. How do we live attractive lives in an ugly world? Be free of sin. Be subject to authorities. Be slaves of God. We follow Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, what you call us to is, is actually in many ways very simple in concept. To be obedient wherever possible, and then we're not possible, just to follow God and be, obey him and to fear you above all else. But in practice, we must admit this is very, very difficult, not just because our own uh, sinful, proud hearts are opposed to it, but because the world's a messy place. So we pray that you would give us wisdom and help us to, to carry this out, to, to know what it means to live lives of submission to authority and fear of God. We can only do this in Christ, so we pray that you would keep us united to Christ. He is our intercessor, as our mediator, as our God and King, as our example and our Savior. Keep us united to him, and uh, to the extent that we are in Christ, Lord, we will carry this out. And, most of all, you will be glorified by us, through us, and in others. Lord, this is how we will be an effective witness in this world, so help us to do just that. We praise your name, we glorify you, we ask for your help, knowing that you are good above all else, and we fear and honor you. Amen.